0: The Start. On Demand. demand. Hey, it's Brett. It's the Monday edition of the podcast for The Start with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And today we're going to talk about what do you do when you make a purchase that maybe you shouldn't have. And you realize, am I going to have room for this stuff? Because that's what I did. Over the weekend, took advantage of some Black Friday sales on furniture, and whoops, I didn't really think it through. And it led to a rather serious bout of panic. We're also going to launch a series this week called Keeping the Faith, so we will preview what that is all about. It's a week-long series. We'll also learn about Candace House. Something that is opening in Winnipeg today, named after Candace Dirksen. We will speak with Candace's mother, Wilma Dirksen, to find out what this is and why it is so important. And it's the first of its kind, anywhere. We're also going to discuss addictions, because this week is Manitoba Substance Use and Addictions Awareness Week. And we are going to... Have a chat about some of the biggest addiction treatment myths with the Addictions Foundation of Manitoba. We spoke to Bob Irving about the Great Cup. Wasn't really one for the ages, but it's always worth chatting. With Bob. And we're going to learn about something called the Super Awesome Science Show. It's a new podcast launching this week, and it sounds like a lot of fun, and the guy hosting it is a lot of fun, so we're excited to share that conversation with you right now. Macklin McGarry McNabb on 680 CJOB. Jeff Braun is here. Kelly Moore is here. Jeff Fortier and I said that our next segment would be brought to you by bad decisions by Brett McGarry. And here's the deal. Here's what happened this weekend. Saturday, girlfriend and I decided to go shopping for a new bed because hers is trash. Went to Lee, it's just done. And it's like a Trump brand bed. Like what the hell?
1: <laughs> <laughs> really? <Yeah>. Oh. <laughs>
0: so, did you burn it? I should have. Went to Leon's, got a great deal. Some places I like see uh, the best.
2: Bed you can buy, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do we need to
0: make sleep no, now? Make, make sleep a great grade again. Sleeping great uh, again. Oh boy. Uh, some places I think Sleep Country will take away your old bed, right? Yeah. Uh, Leon's would not, but they they tell us that they work with this not for profit place that will come and take it away. So we figure, hey, that's cool. And then while we were in the store, we just decided to wander around and look at sectionals. Let's just go look, she says. L O L. Because we ended up uh. finding one we both liked, and after some haggling with each other, we decided to buy that. Two, again, thinking, well, we'll just call this not-for-profit place to come get the old couch. He has a couch and a loveseat that need to go somewhere. So we got a delivery scheduled for Leon's for today. Uh, leave the store, and I look up this not-for-profit uh, pickup place. They, they're they not even open until Tuesday, so I can't <laughs> get a hold of them to book a, a pickup time, So which means probably not going to be able to come schedule a pickup for a few days beyond that so what are we gonna do we could easily prop the old mattress and box spring up against a wall somewhere that's not the end of the world but a couch and a love seat in a 650 square foot apartment i don't know about that so we ended up spending our sunday morning in this frantic panic trying to figure out what do we do i call 311 to look into their pickup for larger items right uh the earliest they can do for that, December 4th. So that's not going to work. So I call a friend, who and I hate to be this guy. The friend with a truck. Yeah. 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 The friend with a truck. The person with a truck always ends up being the person who is, gets harassed by people like me. So he just bought this new truck. I think I know who you phoned. Yeah, micro-owner. <laughs> former producer here at 680 oh, CGOB. Called him to see if he was free. Was he on the three one
3: one call, too? No,
0: he was not. <laughs> uh, he, he was being Busy working, doing other things for the city, though. So he couldn't uh, come help us out. Uh, So finally, we looked into some junk removal services. You know, there are some that advertise on this radio station. We finally found one uh, service that was available yesterday. This place called Trash Bandicoot. Which, Good name. yeah, great name. Isn't that that was a video <laughs> game, right? Yep. Jeff Fortier, did you ever play the video game? Crash Bandicoot? That was on PlayStation. Yeah. It was it, a great game. Yeah. So they came and took it away for took it all away for hundred bucks. The guy was super nice and friendly. His name, by the way, the guy who came and picked it up was Mac. Oh I got like it. so it all worked out, but had it not worked out, we would have had to get very creative on where do we put all this stuff. So I guess my first question, Jeff Braun, do you I could have
4: saved you hundred bucks. I would have come over with my little hatchet. We would have torn those couches <laughs> to pieces. Yeah, I was
3: thinking.
0: You of a take one of chunk,
4: you. Wait till it's dark, you go down an alley till you find a dumpster, <laughs> you throw it in. Take another chunk, go down the other way down the alley till you find another dumpster, you throw it in. Oh half an hour, your coach is gone.
1: But the, was and the it cannot be good? traced
4: back to you because it's in eight different dumpsters.
1: Oh my Very God, I'm, I'm slightly concerned about it. Yeah. Well. Have you done
4: this before? My friend's done it.
1: <laughs> wow. Oh,
4: my friend, it's always a friend. <laughs> yeah, and you helped him uh, asking for a friend. Maybe. Those files are closed.
1: Yeah. Aren't you, I always have that thought, I was helping a friend move about a, two years ago. And we had all this excess like garbage and things in the back of the car and there was no room left to hit her place in the new garbage can. And you're we like, let's just find a dumpster. And then as you're yeah. chucking into this dumpster, and you're looking around for like <laughs> See if there's security a camera. cameras. And I was like, oh, God, now I'm going to be the global news anchor that like yeah. chucked away, illegally dumped. So this you have co- your bomb we actually ended and... up not doing it because we were so this is how not a criminal I am. I'm like, I don't want to be caught. Illegal dumping.
2: Good. That's good. I wish there were more people like you. You could have put it in my garage, Brett. But getting it there, how do I get it there? I don't know. But, you know, you could have put it in my garage because, you know, there's no room to put cars in there. So you might as well just add it. (laughs) Yeah,
0: like the oh. only solution that we would have had in the apartment would have been to like Tetris stack the love seat on top of the couch and try to tuck it away somewhere. But that just would have been a pain. So that, I was somewhat regretful for the decision because I don't like to buy big things without thinking it through I like to do my research I don't just like to walk in and buy something cuz I didn't think clearly didn't think through the consequences it worked out fine but Jeff that's a great creative solution yeah Kelly you seem like a kind of guy who would have uh, some creative solutions as well to that Kelly's a sort of guy thing. that has the truck though
3: yeah, well, I used to have a truck, yeah. not anymore, yeah. I uh, I have learned through the trial of my previous errors to uh, make sure that you measure before you buy certain things, just to make sure that it fits. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so we we try to plan out even to the point where I measure doorways to yeah. make sure that a, a couch or sofa or whatever can get there. Now, we had to buy a, a mattress or a box spring, rather, for uh, the downstairs bedroom. And thank goodness the guy who owned the house before me said, "By the way, the the uh, stairs are too narrow going down to the basement, so buy one of those folding mm. box springs." That uh, saved me a lot of problems because I wouldn't have thought of that.
1: We had a staircase once in an apartment that was too narrow to get the couch up, yeah. and so my dad and I and my roommate had to jerry rig like a pulley system over the back balcony, and he's just yelling in the middle of the winter. <laughs> <laughs> And was just, like, the three of us just, like, sweating it out. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh, is anyone watching us right now? But it
3: worked. We had to do that at my youngest daughter's apartment. She moved into the old Maple Leaf apartments on Cordon there. And we did the same thing. Yes. Having to put
1: the couch up. The, the uh, best part was when we moved out, we just left the couch in there. <laughs> it's like, well, this couch isn't coming with oh, us. Somebody else word. gets in there at this couch. I looked at a
0: house uh, a few years ago, like 10 years ago, I guess. I was looking at houses, and I looked at one in Wolseley, and it had. It was a beautiful house, big house, but its staircase was super narrow to go yeah. up. And uh, I think they said in order to get anything significant upstairs, you'll have to take the window out and then hoist it in that way. Yeah. <laughs> And I thought, mm, I like it, but not that much. Not yeah, thanks for the heads <laughs> up. I
2: appreciate it. Yeah, I've moved uh, roughly 31 times in my lifetime. And oh, my, roughly? My, my yeah. specifically? Oh, no. That's exactly what I was thinking.
1: very specific with the 31. Yeah, I, I
2: counted it up a few months ago. My ki- my kids have moved exactly once, and uh, I was trying to let them know. And my hands are sweaty just hearing these stories. <laughs> really? Oh yeah. I hate moving, yet I can't get rid of any. Stuff. You're probably exceedingly efficient at it, though. Oh, I'm pretty good at it. Or my friends are very good at it. Well, that's why you can't park your cars in your
4: garage. Oh, oh. You must have lost a ton of stuff moving that many times. Mm. Don't they say that like every ten moves equals one house
2: fire? <laughs> I hadn't <laughs> heard that. In terms of lost stuff, lost one couch cushion on the way home from Calgary once, which ruins the whole couch. Yeah, it did yeah. had to had to cut out. Fabric from the back of the couch. Check dumpsters around neighborhood. <laughs> and then take it, and then, yeah, take it find one the to the upholstery <laughs> company and they made a new cushion.
0: So, right now, we are going to introduce you to our new week-long series. It's called Keeping the Faith, a look at faith and religion in Winnipeg. A number of our colleagues here at 680CJOB have been working very hard on putting this series together. And here is a preview. Yeah,
5: yeah, 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 keeping the faith. When my son was in grade 11... He ended up taking a course that I never thought he would take, and he probably never thought he would take, but given on what he'd like to do down the road, it was recommended to him that he take comparative religions. And as he brought the work home, I was intrigued, because there's just so much that we don't know about other religions and cultures, and it really opened my eyes. Why do certain religions dress the way they do? What are those things called? Why do they eat certain things at certain celebrations? How are weddings and funerals handled? And I think knowing all of these things fosters a better understanding in our community. Because at the end of the day, I think a lot of the fear and ignorance comes from just not knowing. So the idea behind keeping the faith is really just to provide education. We're not trying to say you should be religious or you shouldn't be religious or you should change religions. It's just about understanding each other.
6: I was raised Catholic and I went to a Catholic high school and I will admit that I don't go to church anymore, but one of the best parts of the Catholic education was learning about other religions and world religions in grade 11. It was an eye-opening experience because other religions, you don't really come across it in your day-to-day life. It's really just your bubble of if you go to a Catholic church, if you go to a United Church, that's your circle. And you often don't really realize what other religions are about, whether it's Islam, whether it's Judaism, whether it's Sikhism. There's all kinds of different belief systems in our world, and there have probably for a long time been ignorant opinions about different religions that now that there's the information age and the news cycle that we're in, there may be amplified more than what we're used to hearing. I don't think gaining an understanding of others is that difficult to achieve. I think once you actually sit down with somebody, it's easier to understand, comprehend, and see where people are coming from as opposed to making blanket assumptions about people from different faiths.
4: I expect that what we'll find is that while well, fewer people are actually going to church just the same amount of people would identify as being spiritual to some degree just not into a particular religion or practicing a specific religion you know modern society for lack of a better term people just aren't into getting up early and going to church on a sunday i think if you break down most religions you'll find a lot of very common sense type quote-unquote rules that the like most of it's be nice to people How hard is that? A lot of people think they don't need to go to church to figure that
7: out.
4: People are now getting ordained on the internet so that they can marry their friends. Churches now have a huge online element. So that's an area that I'm really interested. It's 2018, everything is online, including religion. I think there's going to be some kooky stuff online, there always has been since the beginning of the internet. But I think you're also now seeing more traditional religion and traditional churches using online to get their message out there to people that maybe can't come in for that regular Sunday service, but they want to worship and they want to worship in that church and they do it online.
2: There's an intersection in Winnipeg where you've got B'nai B'rith, you've got a Jewish synagogue, you've got what is essentially a, a Catholic girls' school, and a united church, all at the intersection of Wellington and Academy. And there are now faiths that share facilities. I think we're going to highlight, and what I'm looking forward to highlighting and learning is how these different faiths coexist. The fact that they have way more in common than they have differences in terms of the basis for those faiths and to talk a little bit about how we can get along better just by sitting down at a table, whether it's at a radio station, a restaurant, or a coffee shop, and just talking about what we believe and listening to one another.
0: Keeping the Faith, that is the name of the week-long series. And now as a result, I'm sure I'm going to have Keep the Faith by Bon Jovi <laughs> stuck in my head.
2: I've had it stuck in my head for 19 weeks oh. since we decided
0: we were going to do this series. So,
2: <laughs> But
0: uh, jokes aside, this is a look at faith and religion. We're going to focus on education, religions on the rise and on the decline, how faith plays a part in our lives, and the future of faith as well, so lots to discuss on this subject, and uh, particularly timely as well as we enter the holidays, which for many people are very religious times. Not everybody subscribes to the religious component of Christmas and whatever you might uh, celebrate. but uh, still, for many, it's uh, like a, you I, you probably know people who are the c and e church goers, right. Christmas. And Easter. And Easter. That's yeah. right.
1: We just talked about that. You know, you definitely see more people in church if you are a church or you hear more people talking about it. And what does that all mean, too, as we just think about our own um, spirituality and where we fit with that and if we have any at all or not? And I think it's a great conversation.
0: Brittany Greenslade gave us details at 7.15. Lauren McNabb, for those just tuning in, we're talking right now about Candace House.
1: Yeah, Candace House is thrilled to announce that this week it is finally open for business. And the business is one that probably no family ever wants to become involved with. But it's when you're a victim of crime or your family's a victim of crime and you're working your way through the court system, and there's no place to turn to, no place to escape sort of those day to day sadness or drudgery or even just the confusion of the courthouse system. And of course, Candace House was born out of the death of Candace Dirksen and a legacy, if we will. And her mom is in house with us now. Wilma, so good to have you always come into studio. Oh, it's good to be here. So tell us, take us back to where this idea was born from.
8: Oh, I think it was after working with crime victims for seven years in a support group. And then we uh, formed a victim's voice and we continued to work and tell the stories. And then I, I came across this story where a woman had been in the courtroom and she was just suffering, suffering because of the murder of her her son. And she was thrown out because she looked like a vagrant, because <laughs> she just deteriorated to, to nothing in the courtroom. And she looked so, so haggard, so forlorn. And, uh, and then, you know, that, that was, I think the turning point where I thought we've just got to have a house. We've got to have someplace where we can hide.
2: The thing that struck me when I heard you and Cliff speaking to Brittany was this idea of, you know, when there's breaks, extended breaks, the the court sessions are, are actually fairly short in the morning. And then in the afternoon, what do you do in between? How do you spend your time? And I mentioned to Lorraine and Brett off the air, I can only imagine that the spotlight is on the trial. But then when those breaks take place, now you're in the spotlight. As soon as you walk out of that courtroom, you're sort of fair game to the media and other players within the court. And you may be bumping into people. You mentioned the fact that there's really no place to get away from all of it, even when you're off of court time.
8: I know. And even if you're not, in the spotlight you feel like it <laughs> you're always feeling watched and you're always with people and you're always with a group of people you're made of family and friends and uh, and even people just tanger honors who who are interested and it's all good it really is all good and you need that attention and not to have attention is bad but just to escape right it's just you and especially when it's so volatile your emotions are going all over the place you just want, want to at least have a place where you know you can run to
0: so, where is this Candace house
8: it's a block of um, south, no north of uh, the law courts, so it's just in running distance, just enough to make sure you feel that you've gotten away from the building, and yet short enough so that you don't freeze and you don't have to wear a big parka.
1: Well, it's not until you're in the system, I'm guessing, Wilma, that you realize how challenging it could be. That you, it's not over and done with in a couple of days. It's not like television. There's first, there's a first appearance, and then there's bail hearings, and then there's a preliminary hearing. And I mean, I mean, it's months and months and years in your case yes. of being in and out of those courtroom doors. And so, it's not just a, simple enough to say, "Well, why can't you just go for lunch at the cafe down the street?" Because your emotions are so fragile,
8: and you never know who's watching, right? And and the um, just this darkness of the whole place. It's it's meant to create respect and <laughs> and uh, professionalism and all of that, which isn't very homey, and you just want to hide and put your slippers on and just to to talk to people who know what's going on, because you are always having really deep discussions. You're always, in our group, we were constantly saying, is he guilty or isn't he guilty? And they would get quite heated sometimes because everybody had a different opinion. You don't want to do those things in public. You want to go someplace where you're safe and and, uh, and warm to, to really discuss it.
1: So what does the space look like? A couple rooms or?
8: It's perfect. Oh, I've spent the afternoon there on Friday. At, you know, it's all done. All the pictures and everything is in, is in place. Cecily and Daryl have done an amazing job to capture the concept that we had sort of rolled out all these years. It is... In some ways, quite ordinary, but it's exquisitely designed to be a place that would allow a professional person coming in to have a professional, serious talk of uh, of law. Law would be comfortable in there. <laughs> but there is that soundproof room in the back that's yeah. just perfect for a nap and perfect for those really, really important, serious conversations that you don't want anyone around. And then it has this it needs more bathrooms, but it has this one good washroom. And that's really important. I I said, it's got to have a good washroom, because that's the most vulnerable place that we're in. And that's where the public comes in at your most vulnerable. And I've had the most amazing, important, crazy experiences in the washroom. And that's really when you want to have that breather, you know, correct the, um, the makeup <laughs> and cry, throw up, do whatever you need to do in the washroom. And so to have that to be public in an intimate way is really important. And I've heard it right along the, the way. We, we just want that washroom.
2: You're such a hero, Wilma. You have so much respect uh, and love coming your way. And thank you for doing this. Thanks for sharing this with us.
8: Well, thank you. Thank you for having me here at this special moment.
0: Wilma Dirksen joining us live on 680 CJOB to talk about the opening of Candace House. Manitoba Subs and Addictions Awareness Week. It is beginning today. It goes until December 2nd. It's an opportunity to engage and inform our province on issues related to alcohol and drug use, as well as how we can move towards healthier lifestyles. And in studio with us, we have Sherry Fondry, Team Lead at the Addiction Foundation of Manitoba's Knowledge Exchange Centre. Sherry, good morning to you. Thank you very much for joining us.
9: Thank you for having me.
0: So today we're talking about the biggest addiction treatment myths, and uh, for me, one of the first things that jumps to mind is—I'll uh, I mean, use myself as an, as an example. I've battled with uh, smoking mm-hmm. addiction over the years, and some people will just say, "Well, why can't you just quit? Just quit." Well, that's that's that doesn't work for everybody.
9: Well, clearly you don't have enough willpower, um, which is <laughs> probably the biggest comment that people have is, yep. "Why don't you? Why don't you just pull up your socks? Just do something about it." And it's an uncomfortable myth for a lot of people because as you get used to having a substance around all the time, your brain actually changes. And those changes resist any change in the opposite direction. So it's not just a matter of willpower to overcome what really amounts to rewiring of your brain. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes um, using a lot of different strategies over a long period of time. And with that and with some support, a lot of people can make those changes.
0: Some people can just drop it, though, right? Like it's different for every person.
9: It absolutely is. Um, my mother's a good example of smoking. I didn't think she'd ever stop, and one day she just decided she wasn't going to smoke today and not going to smoke tomorrow, and she never smoked again for the rest of her life. Um, it, it, it was shocking to me. And, um, you know, other people struggle with repeated attempts. That's normal, though. You know, I think we all know that if we try to change something significant in our lives, it takes more than one try to get it right.
2: Sometimes there's this myth as well that you have to hit rock bottom in order to get to a point where you ask for trouble. Is, is, is that necessarily the case?
9: I guess it depi- depends on how you define rock bottom. Um, I think that the the thinking around that has changed, that, you know, until people are going to make that big an effort in their lives, they have to absolutely be groveling in the, in the gutter. And clearly, that isn't true. A lot of people suffer consequences. Some consequences are big, some consequences are small. Um, but it depends on what is your tolerance. Um, what's your motivation for changing? People make tremendous changes in their lives if they're motivated in that direction. And part of the part of the the art of addiction treatment is keying into people's motivation and what is really going to get them doing all that hard work. Um, So rock bottom, I think even the most traditional people in 12-step will say that, no, well, we can raise that bottom up so that you don't have to lose everything before you make changes.
5: How
1: often are people, and I'm... Perhaps every addiction or drug or vice is different. But, you know, for example, talking about the meth crisis in Winnipeg and the, and the struggle people are having to to get off that drug. And what we keep hearing is the need for all these treatment facilities because it's not as simple as even signing up for one program because sometimes people, for lack of a better word, are repeat customers. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the one-time treatment, they might not take the first time. It might not even be the second time.
9: Is that common with all addictions or are there some that are just harder to beat than others? It's common to all addictions that, that repeat tries are likely necessary for most people. Um, as I said, you know, people don't get it right the first time. Um, even a sim- something as simple as trying to change your diet, make a, a small change in your diet, takes multiple attempts before we figure out, okay, how does this fit into my, in, into my new way of doing things? There are, though, some drugs that are harder to quit than others. Um, some drugs are just more addictive than others, methamphetamine being one of the worst possibly the worst in terms of the intensity of the addiction. Um, Some ways that you use drugs make them more addictive than others. So going back to the smoking thing, the fact that you're smoking the nicotine, delivering it to your brain so incredibly quickly through that method, means that that method of use is more addictive. So smoking is the quickest way to get a drug to the brain. Um, It's the most addictive method. Injecting second quickest, you know, second only by a few seconds to smoking very addictive method. People who take things by mouth would find them a little less addictive than using other routes. So it's a combination of the drug and the way you're using it, your environment, um, to a lot of extent, you know, your your history as well. Trauma history is going to make some people more vulnerable to, to addiction than people without a history of trauma. So So many complex factors come into play.
0: Our guest is Sherry Fondry, team lead at the Addiction Foundations of Manitoba's Knowledge Exchange Center. We're talking about the biggest addiction treatment myths during this Manitoba Substance Use and Addictions Awareness Week. And another myth that you've highlighted here is that addiction treatment means a commitment to complete abstinence. That, just reading that, that seems like that kind of makes sense. How is that a myth?
9: I think when um, when you look at it, we, we've changed the name of, of this week celebrating people's, um, you know, attempts at recovery to Substance Use and Addiction Awareness Week. And we recognize that, you know, addiction is kind of the end of a long path that, you know, you and your brain take together with a drug um, and end up with, you know, this different wiring that we call addiction. People can suffer harm from substances long before they hit that that endpoint of addiction. So, we're recognizing that some people who are just walking down that path and misusing or overusing substances um, can be suffering consequences from that. And that means that if they cut back their use, then they they might not be suffering the consequences anymore. And for some people, that that's all that's necessary. And I think all we have to do is reflect back on our early to mid twenties to realize that you know most of us have gone down that path towards. Overusing something, and we are able to walk it back, find a more reasonable um, level of use, pattern of use, and stop binging on the weekends, for example. And that could be our treatment. That could be our awareness of of how to do things better.
2: How much is the outside perception? These you've listed these these myths. Mm-hmm. How much of the the permeation of those myths? And others' views of what it means to be an addict are a barrier to those that have addictions getting treatment.
9: All of them constitute a barrier. All of them um, together build up to, to create stigma and to create a perception in people's minds that addiction is for others. And those others must be flawed in order to go down that path. And it's funny because I think that we don't have to think very hard to find somebody who has had a substance use problem in our lives, um, but somehow we still have to build that barrier to protect ourselves—that barrier of stigma—from um, the thought that it could happen actually very close to home. Um, so yeah, every every negative um, myth, perception, misperception. Um, creates a barrier to people, and creates a barrier to people even admitting they might have a problem.
1: Well, you mentioned that we probably all overused at some point, maybe in our early twenties, with one vice or another. But I, I wonder how often if we stopped and looked in a mirror and and took a list of what it means to be an addict to certain things. I'm thinking alcohol and the amount of people might be drinking now compared to before, or smoking. And we like to pretend like addiction has to do with heavy drugs or something else, but it's not us. But perhaps we might all fit in a box or more than we think if we started to look at what the actual definition is to be an addict to something.
9: Absolutely. I mean, there's a medical definition. There's a very clearly defined diagnostic and statistical manual, which is in the fifth edition right now. Um, and there are 11 criteria that constitute, you know, behaviors that that equal addiction. If you have just a couple, then you would say that it's a mild addiction um, or substance use disorder, is the current terminology? If you have all eleven, then serious it's a serious or severe substance use disorder. I think for for people for for us, it's more helpful to think about what is your relationship with a substance? You know, really looking at the relationship, how is it affecting different parts of your of your life? Is it affecting your family? Is it affecting relationships with others? Is it affecting your work or or play, other activities? Um, You know, what kind of things have been happening as a result of this relationship that you have with something? And if we do take that, you know, that very hard look in the mirror um, and question our relationship with a lot of substances, activities, maybe we start to see things a little differently.
0: All right, Sherry Fondry, team lead at the Addiction Foundation of Manitoba's Knowledge Exchange Centre, joining us to talk about Manitoba Substance Use and Addictions Awareness Week. And if somebody is maybe thinking, I need help, how do they reach out to your organization to do that?
9: They could reach out to our organization um, through various different media. Um, I think possibly the, the best first step for people is to reach out to the Manitoba Addiction Helpline. We have one uh, 855 or mbaddictionhelp.ca. That is kind of your, your first stop towards um, finding help, not just from the Addictions Foundation of Manitoba, but for any provincially funded addiction agency uh, within the province. And they can help guide you through the process to find, you know, where is the best starting point for you specifically.
0: All right, Sherry. Thank you so much for the visit. Very much appreciated. We will welcome our next guest, the one, the only Bob Irving, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Bob, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, you guys. So you called it. You rather boldly proclaimed, oh, Calgary's going to win. No, no question about it. And uh, were you ever nervous about that at all?
10: No, as a matter of fact, I predicted the score would be 30-14. to And what was it, 27-16? to I came pretty close to even getting the score, which, of course, is like uh, finding a needle in a haystack. It would have been a total fluke. But, no, I thought Calgary was the better team. And, you know, if they played their game, they would win the game. And that's what happened.
1: It wasn't as much, in my opinion, Bob, about them winning is that they couldn't lose. They they couldn't lose this one. Or what would that say about the team and their quarterback and all the rest?
10: Well, right, Lauren, to have had to explain once again how you lost the game and live with that now for the rest of uh, your lives in terms of the athletes involved losing three Grey Cup games in a row, it would just be hard to imagine how difficult it would be to deal with that. So I think, you know, I said, I think they were really highly motivated to make sure that didn't happen. And, you know, the best team doesn't always win, but I think on this day, the best team won. Bowley by Mitchell had a solid game, a couple of picks, but he played okay. They got the kick return touchdown. You know, their defense was very good as they were in the West final against the Blue Bombers. And uh, I would say that uh, justice prevailed in terms of, the better team winning the game.
2: Bob, the weather was almost ideal. If you're a spectator, yesterday got up to three degrees in Edmonton. uh, Lack of wind, really an unusual day in northern Alberta, close to 56,000 people in Commonwealth Stadium. But the field itself, the condition of the field, was a huge topic of conversation leading up to and, and throughout the game.
10: Yeah, and they're still talking about it, Greg. That's going to be one of the, I guess, sore points from this game is the artificial turf. And remember, they used to have grass at Commonwealth, but they put artificial turf in a number of years ago. And it was not very good. We we knew on Saturday, the teams were complaining about it Saturday when they did their walkthroughs. And they tried to get rid of the sort of the icy and uh, chunks that were on it before yesterday's game, but they only succeeded to a certain degree. And there was some slipping and sliding. And I don't know what else they could have done. People are saying they should have tarped it and you know, uh, kept it uh, warm, and then there wouldn't have been any ice. So I guess there's lots of second-guessing going on. But, yeah, the field was not ideal. There's no doubt about that.
2: Well, Bob, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, 20, 30 years ago, they had a giant tarp. In fact, they would lend that tarp to Winnipeg Enterprises yeah. and the Blue Bombers when, when we still had real gr- grass here in Winnipeg. So I'm surprised that they don't still have those amenities.
10: Well, I think they probably do, Greg, but I I guess they felt, well, it's an artificial surface. There's no need to tarp it, Uh, and it looked good. It didn't look like there was any ice, but the the way this artificial surface is, I guess these little ice pellets get embedded in there, and it was never really warm enough to melt them and get rid of them, and that's what caused the problem. And so, again, I'm not sure what they could have done uh, beyond tarping it, and I think this caught... Everybody by surprise a little bit.
0: So Bob, as you Greg said, he watched the first half of the game, but he kind of thought, ah, I don't need to watch the rest of it. Calgary is going to win this game. There's no doubt about it. So was the did that take away from the drama of it that Calgary was so determined to win this game that it looked like they were just going to wrap it up.
10: Well, they were in command all the way, Uh, although, you know, it was, what, a seven or ten point game into the third and then the fourth quarter. Uh, So, you know, I don't think it was ever in doubt. I I didn't think it was ever in doubt. But when you think about Calgary blowing the last two Great Cup games, you know, I turned to somebody and said, you think there's any way the Stamps can find a way to lose this game? No, probably not. So I, I think it did take away from the drama. A little bit, you know. I've been to a few Grey Cup games, and this this one was okay, but certainly not one of the great ones I've seen. And that's simply because Calgary was in charge, and you you had that feeling all the way through that they were going to win the game.
1: Well, I know what we would do if we won a Grey Cup in this city. I think the city would shut down. Is, <laughs> is there a parade planned in Calgary? How's how's it going to look there for fans?
10: Yeah, well, I don't know if they're having a parade or not. They probably have some sort of reception maybe at McMahon Stadium, Loren. uh, You know, they've been to this game so often. I know they've only won it uh, a handful of times. Uh, They don't get as excited in Calgary about these things. They kind of take their Stampeders for granted to a point. Whereas you're right, uh, Winnipeg will go crazy when the Bombers win the Grey Cup the next time. There's no
4: question about that.
2: Six Grey Cups since 1992, you know. And, and so I guess winning becomes old hat, uh, you know, to a certain extent, a, a little bit frustrating. Yeah. Only 11 only eleven points scored in that second half, Bob. So, that you know, yeah. when, when you look at that, it uh, clearly wasn't the most exciting game we've ever seen. So where do we go from here? The CFL and the CFLPA, they don't have an agreement. Uh, to, to to play games next year. They have to negotiate that. Uh, was that a big topic this week before we let you go? Well, it came up
10: periodically for sure. It's hanging over the league, Greg. The, the fact that there's no CBA, no collective bargaining agreement between the league and the players. There are some people close to it who think it's going to get very contentious and it could get ugly when the spring comes and, and they still don't have an agreement if that's what happens. I mean, the possibility of a, of a lockout or a strike sort of boggles the mind when it comes to the Canadian Football League. But the players' association, from everything we hear, are going to be rather militant, uh, and we'll see. That'll be something that we'll watch very, very closely all winter long.
0: All right, Bob Irving joining us live. Thank you very much, Bob. Okay. tell you about this. Ever wonder what foods
7: are good for you? Is love real or just a chemical reaction? And what the heck is blockchain anyway? I'm Jason the Germ Guy Tetro, and this is the Super Awesome Science Show. Join me on this weekly podcast exploring science that matters to you. If it ends in ology, we've got it covered. Chemistry and physics too. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's an experience
0: you won't forget. You might even call it super awesome and this podcast starts tomorrow and the host jason the germ guy tetro is on the line with us joining us live on 680 cjob jason good morning to you sir well good morning the germ guy now <laughs> we've interviewed you before but uh, for those who maybe are not familiar with you and i'm wondering why is he called the germ guy i guess we got to <laughs> start there why are you the germ guy jason
7: Well, I've been in microbiology for about 30 years, and about 10 years ago, I got a chance to go on television and answer your questions. And when I was at the University of Ottawa, you know, the whole title, University of Ottawa Microbiologist Jason Tetrell, got a bit long. So the host at the time, on live TV, just went, and we're here with the germ guy. (laughs) I looked at the germ guy. What? (laughs) And it stuck. Literally, I was at the grocery store like an hour later, and there's a couple people in the aisle going, "Hey, germ guy, how's it going?" Perfect
1: way to take your degree and all your hard work, right, and just dumb it right down to the to germ guy.
7: Well, I you know what? I think it's a great one though because germ, yeah, it talks about bugs and microbes and everything, and it really helped me get those two bestsellers, the Germ Code and the Germ Files. But think about it this way: Have you ever had wheat germ? Yeah. Yes. Wheat? Yeah, well, germ means germinate. So in reality, what I can say is not only am I talking about bugs, but I'm also talking about the prototype of knowledge. And so I'm now the germ guy to germinate you with science.
1: (laughs) I love the sales pitch. you don't like
2: it? You're not
7: too much?
1: I (laughs) I like it.
2: it. I like it. I'm going out to get a Petri dish of knowledge right now. (laughs) So, Jason, tell us, uh, what are you going to be looking at in this first edition of this this podcast? Well, you know, like most podcasts that
7: deal with science, we're going to deal with health, and we're going to deal a little bit with diet. We're just going to take a little bit of a different approach to it. Um, Have you ever had a scorpion satay? Oh, of
2: course. That's my favorite.
7: <laughs> oh, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's just so good. Uh, Wash larvae. I mean, that really goes well with some hot sauce. <laughs> um, and don't forget those crickets, because you can actually now get crickets at Loblaws and other uh, grocery stores like that. So we're going to talk about a different type of dietary product. We're going to talk about insects.
0: I've tried the crickets, and if you like, they they came in a package. They were like salted or something, and yeah, as long as I didn't look at them and just ate them, they just tasted like a like a any other salty snack, like really. a
1: sunflower seed or something. No, like yeah. it's just a
0: bit crunchy. Did yeah, they- so it was it was it was. I had to get over the fact that I was eating a bug, but once I accepted it into my life, it was okay. So. <laughs> Well, that's good because
7: um, since about 2010, there's been this uh, force coming from an international community trying to get us to eat more bugs. This is traditional in many cultures. It's just that in westernized society, we're used to, you know, cooking on a stove and our master chefs and Gordon Ramsay's providing us with something that really looks interesting. But the fact is, is that we're in a food security problem. And we're going to have to start, you know, making sure we have more different and varied uh, types of food. And insects are incredibly nutritious. And in the show, uh, we have something called the SAS class, where you get to learn a lesson from a guest teacher. And I got two of them come in who are entomologists and cooks. And they're going to explain to us how insects can be better than some of the food you have on your plate.
1: I might need some convincing on this one, but it's an important topic. I'm kind of curious, Jason, how much of this is just it feels like it's the things your kids might say to you in the car as you're driving home about why why is this happening or why didn't that happen? And then you're just going to answer all of the kind of those unknowns. And that's really
7: what science is. I mean, when we think about science, right, we're always thinking about people in lab coats and, and of course, the safety goggles. Can't forget the safety goggles. And we're running experiments in small tubes, and we come up with these amazing results and beautiful pictures. Yeah, that's science. But you know what also is science? Um, When should I wake up in the morning so I don't feel too tired? Or, you know, what should I have that's going to make me feel good but maybe not get me sugar high? I mean, we ask these questions all the time, and science really comes down to common sense. A lot of the common sense decisions we make are based on science, except for maybe 35% of the population, sorry. But the fact is, is that when we start looking at it from that perspective, science is everywhere, and it is awesome,
2: and I'm going to be bringing that to you. Jason, now here, here's the thing, right? Like for parents in particular, Loren brought up a really good point about the, the questions. I get barraged by questions. I have 12 year old twin boys and it's a constant dad, dad, dad. And so I do my best to answer the questions, but you know, bedtime is a prime example of when you're trying to reason with your kids and tell them why it's good idea that they go to bed at a certain time they have something at their disposal that we didn't necessarily have, and the internet, and they have an argument for everything. So this might be as much for parents to make sure that we've got the upper hand in negotiating and and speaking with our kids as it is probably going to be very entertaining and uh, very good for children to listen to.
7: That's the whole point. We want to make sure that everybody has an opportunity. And a couple of the shows, I'm actually telling people to bring the kids in. Uh, We're going to have one show on sleep and we're going to talk about why kids resist sleep and how you might be able to help them to, you know, get that nice beauty rest. Surprise, surprise. It's probably no different than how you went to bed when you were a kid. And in another case, we're going to talk about school start times and how that may be affecting their health and why sometimes it's better to start school a little later so that our kids not only are smarter, but they may actually, you know, not gain too much weight either.
0: Jason, you also mentioned in that promo, just before we let you go here, you asked the question, what the heck is blotching? Did I hear that correctly? (laughs) Blockchain, yes. It's the future. It is the technology
7: that is coming. It is Web 3.0. Can you expand on that just a touch? (laughs) Oh, yeah, sure. So basically what happens is, have you ever actually bought something at at a store and got a gift receipt? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and then you have to take that gift receipt, give it to the person who then doesn't like your gift, and instead of regifting, takes it back and has to show the receipt in order to get the money back or a credit. Right. Right. Well, thing is, is that when you have something like blockchain, all the uh, all the registers would actually have that gift receipt, and all you'd have to do would bring in the actual um, piece of clothing and it would get scanned. The transaction would already be verified. It would show what time it actually happened, and you get the credit back without any problems. No, Don't have to worry about a gift receipt at any point. I That's needed this 40 years is.
2: ago! <laughs> I bought my mom the most embarrassing gift for her birthday 40 years ago from the Kmart and Brandon, and when I tried to bring it back, I didn't have the receipt, and they looked at me and they go, you bought this in the first place? They did not yeah. believe in any way, shape, or form. We thought we, they, that we had lifted this thing. Where have you been, Jason Mike? goodness we needed this uh, a long and, and time ago and the thing
7: is is that when you're talking about Secret Santas think about it what are you going to get I remember giving some guy a puck I mean I had no <laughs> idea what to give him and, 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 and you don't give a gift receipt see with the puck because it's bigger than the puck uh, we have so Secret Santa coming up is, here I'm,
1: I'm going to use a puck one of you guys is getting <laughs> a puck for me for sure <laughs>
7: <laughs> well, he was a hockey fan, I guess. I don't, I don't remember. Anyways, blockchain is going to be able to do this not just with something like a transaction at a retail store, but it's going to be able to do this with money. It's going to be able to do this with all the data that you send in um, you know, from, your, from your apps and, and, and health gadgets and everything. And more importantly, we're going to be able to use blockchain to be able to create what's called impact. So that when we're helping developing countries, instead of giving money to, you know, some kind of charity, what happens is that it will actually go into a pool. You are a transaction that's going to be making sure that that goes towards something that you want it to go to. I mean, how many times have we heard about money being donated and then being used to help some lottery or being used to help some person stay rich in in another country?
0: Jason Tetro, the germ guy, he is the host of the Super Awesome Science Show, which debuts tomorrow, the podcast debuts tomorrow. And you can get it anywhere you get podcasts. Jason, thank you so much for teeing this up. This has been a lot of fun. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me here. Once again, the Super Awesome Science Show, I love that name. The
2: Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.